0: Day on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor JD Farrakh. All flesh shall know that I, the
1: Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. I don't know if you caught it, but before we bring the chapter to a close, it is worthy of noting that this is the second time now that God is explaining the why behind the what. Why are you going to do this, Lord? So that they will know that I...
0: You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. Sometimes God delivers us from our tough circumstances, and sometimes He walks with us through them. Have you ever wondered why He does what He does? Pastor J.D. will show us that in everything that God does, He demonstrates His love to us and those around us, that all of us will know Him and give Him glory. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 49 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. With pride
1: comes folly. If humility is the catalyst for wisdom, then so too is pride the catalyst for folly. Well, verse 6, indeed, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus again speaking, the prophet Isaiah writing, and this speaks to how Jesus would be the one to bring Israel back to the Lord. I think it's Romans 11 verse 26 where the whole house of Israel gets saved. And not just Israel, but even beyond Israel to reach to the uttermost parts of the earth to bring salvation to the Gentiles. You understand that you're either a Jew in this context or a Gentile. What's a Gentile? Someone who's not a Jew? What's a Jew? Someone who's not a Gentile? So in this context, unless you're a Jew, anybody here a Go ahead, raise your hand. It's safe. You can. I love it. Yeah, I think I knew that, by the way. Okay. Well, in Christ, there's no distinction, right? But in this context, you were either a Jew or a Gentile. And then Jesus comes, and in Christ, there is no differentiation, no distinction, no delineation between Jew, Gentile, Arab. Hawaiian, Portuguese, Chinese, Japanese. There's no distinction. Verse 7, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and He has chosen you. What's this about? Well, this is a prophecy, very important one, by the way, concerning Jesus at His first coming being rejected. And that's exactly what happened. But at His second coming... No, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is a prophecy that was fulfilled at his first coming, and it will be fulfilled at his second coming. Verse 8, thus says the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you, and give you, listen to this, very important, as a covenant to the people. In other words, Jesus is not going to bring a covenant or sign a covenant. Jesus is the covenant to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. That, verse nine, you may say to the prisoners, go forth to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads, and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights." This is a prophecy yet future about the ministry of the Savior of the world. He's going to set the captives free. He's going to heal the sight of the blind. He's going to be a covenant to the people. And this will be the acceptable time, the day of salvation. The Apostle Paul will quote this passage here in Isaiah, in his second letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 6. And he's emphasizing, almost pleading, concerning now, keyword now, not tomorrow, not later. Now, today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Today, not tomorrow. Don't delay. Verse 10, They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water he will guide them. I, verse 11, will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west, and these from the land of Sinim. In other words, they're going to come from the uttermost parts of the earth. And I want to draw your attention to verse 11, and I want you to think of it like this. I will make each of my mountains a road. Think about the Ko'olau mountain range. I'm going to make a way. You're going to make a road? Yeah. You're going to make a way? Yeah. You're going to elevate the highways and level the mountains and make a road out of them? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Watch me now. In other words, I'm going to make a way so that those from afar, from the uttermost parts of the earth, can come to me. This is another one of those dual prophecies, meaning that it was fulfilled in the immediate sense when God delivered his people out of Babylon. And here again, will be fulfilled ultimately yet future at his second coming, at the end of the seven year tribulation. Verse 13, Sing, O heavens, be joyful. O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted His people, and will have mercy on his afflicted But Oh, I wish there wasn't a verse 14. Can we just go back to verse 13? I like verse 13. Because we're going to sing, we're going to rejoice in the The mountains are going to break out with praise. And why are we praising God? Because He's going to comfort His people. He's going to have mercy on His people. But, verse 14, well, we actually need a verse 14. Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. What? Wait a minute. What are you saying? Well, first, and this is important, here Isaiah is turning a corner of sorts and really posing a question that the Lord for the remainder of this chapter and Lord willing next week in chapter 50 is going to answer. Because apparently his people think that God is mad at them that God has forgotten them, that God has forsaken them. Remember now, and don't be too hard on them, because we do this all the time. When we're going through a hard time, God must be mad at me. And yet you're telling me to sing and be joyful? No, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. The Lord doesn't care about me. Don't let the enemy do that to you. I hate to say it like this, but for lack of a better way of saying it, one of the greatest successes of the devil is to get you to believe and be deceived that God is angry with you. Because if he can get you to think that way, then you're going to distance yourself from God. Well, there comes those times when God will use the Babylonians, as it were, to chastise us so that we'll repent and come back to him. And that's what he's doing here. They've misinterpreted, misunderstand, mistook the Babylonian captivity and believed and were deceived that the reason is is because God's through with us. Have you ever had the enemy say that to you before? Man, you really blew it this time, dude. God's not too happy with you. In fact, I think God's pretty much through with you. He's headed up to here with you, (laughs) you know. And now, I guess the reason we need a verse 14 is because what comes after a verse 14 is a verse 15. I know that's deeply profound. But from verse 15 on, God is going to reassure them now. I haven't forgotten you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I love you. I'm not angry with you. Yeah, but man, I really blew it this time. Like God's surprised. Could you imagine? When you sin like God's in heaven going, I can't believe he did that. Verse 15, listen to the response To this notion that God's mad at me, God's through with me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will never forget you. Perish the thought. Don't give that another thought. It will never happen. That's not who I am. That's not how I am. I will never leave you. I will ne- I know it feels like it. But if you want to walk by feelings and not by faith, then you're going to reap the consequences and drink from that cup. You you don't <laughs> live by your feelings because I'm I'm not feeling the love right now. I'm sitting here in Babylon, been captive for 70 years since I was a kid. I mean, God's pretty much through with us, through with me. I'm not feeling it, as we say. God's saying, forget your feelings. It's not your feelings. It's my word. I've given you my word. And my word to you is, I will never leave you. I will never forget you. I will never forsake you. And listen to verse 16. Oh, may this be etched indelibly on our hearts and minds. Since I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands, your walls are continually before me. Wow. Doubtless you've heard it said that you want to know how much God loves you. Jesus was on that cross saying this much. Greater love hath no man that he would lay down his life for another. To a Thomas who I think sadly gets a lot of bad press. We call him Doubting Thomas. I don't think that's fair. Because Jesus didn't rebuke him. Again, just love and compassion. Thomas here... Look at, look at the, look at the love that I have for you. You see the spikes? The scars in my hands? I've etched you in the palm of my hands. That's how much I love you. And look how blessed you are. How about those that will come after you that are not gonna see what you see? How much more blessed will they be that don't see and yet believe? That's how much He loves you. He loves you so much. You know, I recently took a couple of weeks just to seek the Lord, and I came away with, you would think it would be something so deeply profound and, you know, this deep theological doctrinal truth that I want to impart to you as a congregation. You know what I came back with and came away with from that time with the Lord? He loves me so much. (laughs) Jesus loves me this. I know that's deep and profound, yeah. But I needed that. I needed to be reminded that He loves me so much. He even likes me. He likes me. Just, Just look at the palm of His hands. That's how much He loves me. Verse 17, your sons shall make haste, your destroyers, and those who laid you waste shall go away from you. Lift up your eyes, verse 18, look around and see. All these gather together and come to you. And I love this. I love the strength of this. As I live, says the Lord. Now when the Lord says it like that, whoo! <laughs> as I live, says the Lord, you shall surely clothe yourselves with them all as an ornament, and bind them on you as a bride does, for your waste and desolate places, verse 19, and the land of your destruction will even now be too small for the inhabitants, and those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children you will have, after you have lost the others, this is the next generation, will say again in your ears, The place is too small for me. Give me a place where I may dwell. Then you will say in your heart, verse 21, Who has begotten these for me, since I have lost my children, and am desolate, a captive, and wandering to and fro? And who has brought these up? There I was, left alone. But these, where were they? Thus says the Lord God, verse 22, behold, I will lift my hand in an oath to the nations and set up my standard for the peoples. They shall bring your sons in their arms. How about that? Oh, how about that's not in the original, but, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings, verse 23, shall be your foster fathers, and their queens, your nursing mothers. They shall bow down to you with their faces to the earth. And look at this imagery, and lick up the dust of your feet. Whoa! Then you will know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed who wait for me. Wow, wow, wow. This is as poetic as it is prophetic, both in the immediate, again, and yet future concerning Israel. By the way, little side note, this um, poetic wording of lick up the dust of your feet and bow down to you with their faces to the earth, this is why you see what you see with, I I hate to bring this up, but you know when they kiss the Pope's feet? That's where it came from, was right here. It it was a custom in, in that day that you would bow in homage and honor and humble yourself, and you would bow your face to the earth and I mean, I know it's kind of graphic, but this is what God is promising and prophesying to Israel yet future. They're going to bring your children back. They're going to carry them in their hands, in over their shoulders. They're going to bow before you. I'm sorry, just one more time. I lick up the dust. Of your feet. And you have to understand in that day, in that culture, the feet were the dirtiest part of the body for obvious reasons, which is why it is to this day in the Middle East with the Arab people, the greatest insult is, and I do this all the time, of course, but uh, you put your feet up on the Ottoman. So you're, you're showing people the dirty part of your feet is an insult. So if you ever come over, which you probably won't now, but if you ever come over and I put my feet up, I don't mean to insult you. It's just more comfortable and it's better for the blood flow. But anyway. <laughs> the only reason I mention it is because this is the ultimate. The ultimate. They that wait on me will never be ashamed. They will never be disappointed. I want to talk about that. Verse 24, we'll finish up here shall the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of the righteous be delivered? But thus says the Lord, verse 25, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible be delivered. For I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save your children." As parents, somebody's messing with your kids? Well, really? This is God the Father saying, you're my children, and they're going to contend with you. Well, I'm going to contend with them. You're messing with my kid. Don't mess with my kid. I will come and find you. You will be (laughs) in great danger. That's what he's saying here. I will feed those, verse 26, lastly, who oppress you with their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. All flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. I don't know if you caught it, but before we bring the chapter to a close, it is worthy of noting that this is the second time now that God is explaining the why behind the what. Why are you going to do this Lord? so that they will know that I. We see this in Bible prophecy, by the way. Ezekiel 38 is a good, great example, actually. Here, all of the nations, when God intervenes, are going to be defeated by God. He will come to the defense of His people, Israel. And why does He do it? Oh, He tells us why. It's so that all the nations on earth will know that I, I am God. (laughs) I love it when God does that. It'll be unmistakable. When I do what I say I'm going to do, you will know that I am the I am. It will be unquestionable. Unmistakable. I can't think of a better way to end a chapter, but the chapter concludes with this promise. It's a promise, it's a prophecy that a time would come when that which was thought impossible. I mean this was unimaginable that God could do this. At the time the prophecy was written, and certainly when the prophecy was fulfilled, and they were taken captive to Babylon, and then the prophet Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit in the words of Jesus the Savior Himself, writes this to them. Yeah, right. No, God said it, and that settles it, and God will do it. And the reason God will do it is so that you will know, and they will know (laughs) that I did it, that I am God, that I am the Lord, that I am your Savior, that I am your Redeemer.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D., We hope you continue to be encouraged as you learn some good things from the book of Isaiah. Did you realize that there are 39 chapters in Isaiah that address judgment and 27 chapters that point to God's salvation? How fascinating that this book relates to 39 books of the Old Testament, much about judgment of sin, and 27 books of the New Testament, pointing to Jesus as God's salvation for the world. Isaiah is yet another example of how God interweaves the old with the new and how prophecies from old point to fulfillment of that later. Are you seeing the connections that God has written into these pages of Isaiah? If you're wanting to hear this message again or more like it, you can find them at com. While you're there, you can learn more about the church this ministry is supported by. Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. If you're not already plugged into a local church, we invite you to be part of our church family. If you're in or near the Kaneohe area, we'd love for you to come visit us on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor JD. You can find service times and directions on our website. Again, that's calvarychapelkaneohe.com. We're so glad you tuned in today to learn from the book of Isaiah. We look forward to the next edition with Pastor JD and the things that God has put on his heart to share from this prophetic book. Thanks again for listening today to In Spirit and Truth.